walking virtually along the world's most revered footpaths and connecting the global community of pilgrims. It's the Sacred Steps Podcast. Available on YouTube and your favorite podcast app. Broadcasting from the Shea Mare Studios in Florida. Here's your host, pilgrim backpacker and author, Kevin Donahue. Buen Camino, pilgrims. Welcome back to the Sacred Steps podcast. I'm Kevin Donahue, pilgrim, backpacker, and author of The Pilgrim's Table. On this podcast, we're walking virtually alongside you, pilgrims and authors, sharing your stories and connecting a community of pilgrims from around the world. For those whom I haven't met yet, please allow me to introduce myself. I mentioned I'm a pilgrim backpacker. My journeys have included the uh, Camino de Santiago, the Via Francigena, sections of the California Missions Trail. Uh, I've walked England's Pilgrim's Way from London to Canterbury and the Way of St. Cuthbert to Holy Island. My next Camino is this summer along the Camino Portuguese. So just like many of you, I'm planning my next Camino. Now, don't adjust your screens, ladies and gentlemen. I was outside today. I got a bit of sunburn here in Florida. So something I'll be reminding myself during my planning process is to think about sun protection. Um, and with planning in mind, this is a very special episode, uh, a live streaming Camino 101 episode focused on helping you plan your upcoming Camino to Santiago pilgrimage. We're taking your questions live today on Facebook and YouTube and bringing them directly into the broadcast. If you would like to ask a question, please begin your comment in the comment box with the letter Q and a colon. That'll help us find your question very quickly and hopefully answer as many as we can over the next hour or so tonight, or as long as you can stay with us on the podcast. Um, on today's episode, uh, noted Camino Pilgrim, my friend and award-winning author and poet, Anne Bourne, returns to the podcast. Her best-selling books, Buen Camino, Tips from a Winter Pilgrim, and If You Stand Here, which is a pilgrim's history of the Cathedral de Santiago, are linked below in our show notes tonight. Um, Anne was here for the topic uh, of Season 2 podcast with me, and uh, I'll link that below in the show notes as well. Many of you know her from the Camino Facebook groups and from the Camino forums. Some of you know her uh, from social media as the little old lady walking. Having spent a little time on the podcast with Ann previously, I can tell you she is a fierce little old lady with great tips, suggestions to help pilgrims experience their very own Camino. So with that in mind, let's bring on Ann Bourne. Ann, good evening. How are you in Michigan? I'm great. Chilly, but fabulous. Yeah, I don't know if you went out and got a sunburn like I did foolishly today, but um, we've got a delta in temperatures here of about 30 degrees. So um, I see we've got uh, about oh, 250 pilgrims that are logged on that want to experience the live stream tonight. And we have about 70 already online with us in the first few moments. We've gotten some very good questions already. Uh, some people are telling us where they're watching from. Some of you have enjoyed our live streams before. I saw in the, the podcast, um, and Ann, you saw a friend of yours who have already popped on. I saw 
a member of our Jacksonville chapter of the American Pilgrims on the Camino, uh, Lori Hoffman Tudin, who did her first Camino. I think I remember her doing it maybe September last year, and I mispronounced her name on the last live stream. So I want to make sure, thank you, Lori, want to make sure I get it right. Uh, Lori's watching us in Florida. Um, as we go through, we're going to take some questions. So please make sure that you begin your question with the letter Q and a comment in the comments box. I'm going to start pulling up some of our questions for Anne tonight. Um, so make sure that you pop those into the comments box. That allows me to easily search for the letter Q and bring them up very quickly. And um, before we begin, let me ask you, I was trying to think of some of my top five tips for walking the Camino. And I wrote a couple down and I said to myself, I'm going to make sure that I say these tonight. And I didn't even think about sun protection. What's one of those uh, tips that you have for pilgrims who are thinking about doing their very first Camino de Santiago? What would you tell somebody who asked you tonight? Sun protection. <laughs> Bingo. And I can tell you this from personal experience because um, my whole family comes from Ireland, Scotland, Wales, and we're very fair. Um, I was waylaid twice by sunburn. Um, I did the, the Camino Primitivo and I got burnt to a crisp because oh I had what I thought was sufficient sunburn cream and I didn't. And I ended up having to spend the day in Lugo just out of the sun to recover a tiny bit. And I still remember the very first time that I walked through the Pyrenees, I got burnt to a crisp again. Um, and I went back to my office a couple weeks later and somebody said, oh, have you been to the beach? And I, I immediately, my immediate response was, I don't go to the beach because I get sunburned. And I thought, oh, wait. Yeah. <laughs> now, sunburn cream is really important. And if it means that you have to check your bag because it's more than three ounces, check your bag, take, take sufficient sunburn cream. That's my number one tip. That's your sleeping bag. Yes. Yeah, you and I have talked about this sleeping bag thing. So I want to make sure tonight we get into the sleeping bag because we have a little bit of a difference of opinion. And I think it's really predicated on when we're walking. Um, that makes a big part of it. Ann and I are going to agree to disagree a couple times tonight. Um, but let me let me say uh, my one of the tips that I have to share with anybody who says I'm walking my very first uh, Camino de Santiago. I always want to tell people, take one extra day in Santiago de Compostela um, for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's very challenging to understand what you just did walking the Camino de Santiago. Two, it, it's a little crowded in Santiago de Compostela and you want to get your uh, Compostela from the pilgrim's office. Three, there's a lot to see in Santiago de Compostela, isn't there, Ian? Oh, it's a fabulous town. Yeah. So I think uh, my number one, one of my very first tips would be plan to spend at least one day at the end of your Camino in Santiago de Compostela, because that will get you the opportunity to get your Compostela. That will give you the opportunity to meet up with pilgrims that you've met along the way, to just sit out and have a coffee and watch as pilgrims come through. If you're having a rough day, I don't think there's any better remedy than watching the outpouring of emotions that happen as friends reconnect in, in the plaza in Compostela. So uh, that's my first tip. I'm going to bring in... Doo, 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 doo. 
for those of you that are listening on the podcast later and you're thinking to yourself, wow, I must be missing something. It's Kevin trying to work the computer and bring in all the questions at the same time. He's trying to have a conversation with Ann. So uh, our first question tonight comes from Harriet Jane Olson. She asks, what patterns make the Camino feel like a spiritual experience? That's, that's a good one. And I will tell you, there are lots of places, specifically in the Camino Frances, where the, the path that you're walking is um, lower than the terrain around you. And I always get this sense that it's been worn down by pilgrims. Now, has it really been worn down by pilgrims or is this just the path? I don't know. But to me, connecting with the, the people who have been there before me, where there's sort of a, a trace and a, a sort of a glimpse of, of people who were there who struggled. You know, there, there, were, there were criminals that used to walk off their sentence on the Camino and they would chain them to make it even harder. So they would be slogging across these, these paths that we walk across in our fabulous Merrill boots. And they would and be sandals. Exactly, exactly. So I like to, I like to connect with the, with the people before me, even if it was just the people just ahead of me. You know, there, there were a lot of moments, because I typically walk in the winter, there are a lot of moments when the, the snow will either cover the path or obscure an arrow. And I, I, you know, wonder, gee, did I miss something? And I go, oh, no, there's orange peels. I'm in good company. I, I think one of the things that makes uh, the uh, a pilgrimage feel like a spiritual experience for me is um, giving myself permission to think about myself and just think about my purpose in walking this pilgrimage. Um, trying to tuck away as best we can, the roles that we have, um, outside the Camino. Um, and for me, they're important roles, right? Husband, father, but my family gives me permission to focus on what I want to get out of the Camino. So I would say if you can give yourself enough space, whether that's work commitments, family commitments, life commitments, the bills we all have to pay, those things. If you can allow those to exist in a separate space that's not your Camino, then that's a real opportunity to be in touch with yourself, whether you, uh, whether it's a faith practice, a spiritual practice, or, or whether you're walking with, with no faith at all, uh, this is a great way to experience it. Uh, and Nancy asked, um, is it better to buy sunscreen um, before the trip or rather than just picking some up in Spain. We, we have, we got the sunscreen question going. Okay. So this speaks to a bigger topic, which is how much time do you want to spend shopping, looking for things when you get there? See, when I get there, I don't want to see if I can find hiking poles. I don't want to see if I can find a poncho. I want to make sure that I am completely self-sufficient that I am completely, utterly, totally self-sufficient. So yes, you bring the sunscreen with you. I I agree 100%. And if you are someone who does not want sunscreen, um, it's SPF clothing, hats, just whatever you're doing to protect yourself. Um, Spain, you know, we're Spain and Florida are, are kind of on two different uh, long, uh, latitudes, but um, 
you know, you can, you can end up with a tomato face just like this, just like I am. Uh, let's see. Next question. This is from Annette in St. Pete, Florida. She asks, um, first Camino, they're going to do the Primitivo. Any hints for this as opposed to other routes? Also, they're a little older, uh, 60s and 70s. Any special precautions for senior pilgrims? Yes. Well, as a senior pilgrim, I am the official <laughs> little old lady walking, as you Hashtag mentioned. little old lady walking. Exactly. I, I did the, the Camino Primitivo a few years ago. The thing about the Camino Primitivo is that most of the people that you speak to when you tell them, I want to do the Camino Primitivo, the very first response is, it's really difficult. And I will underscore, it is really, really challenging. It is so worth it. It is spectacularly beautiful in a way that you just, you are just gobsmacked and you can't put a sentence together. Typically when you walk, um, you'll see a beautiful countryside and maybe a little town and then a little more of this and a little less of that, whatever, whatever. But the Camino Primitivo is 24 7, 365, 360 views spectacular. It's so beautiful. Um, that it's it's almost hard to take in. But the thing about it is that there's a lot of climbing. It's not like mountain climbing hand over hand with, you know, a gear, but there's a lot of walking up. And we used to, when, when I walked it, we joked, you know, you see, you look way, way up there high on that hill, you can see the wind turbines, that's where we're going. <laughs> but, you know, anybody who has done this will tell you that the descent is sometimes even more challenging. And there is a particular descent that if you don't have hiking poles, you can really risk serious in injury. So two things. One is know your limitations. Start out, see how you do, and that get the wise pilgrim guide, which lays out all of the places to stay and how far away they are one from the other without separating it into days and stages. Right. It's just a full route. Then you can say, okay, I, I'm only going to do 10 kilometers tomorrow, and that's perfectly fine. And you'll find a nice place to stay and like-minded people with you, and it'll be fabulous. I would so do the Primitivo again. That is such a great tip. I am I'm so glad we're recording this tonight. We'll be for those who didn't catch it on the live stream, we'll we'll be replaying mm -hmm. some of these comments. But that is such a great tip. Um, my son, who's a teenager, would say, smash that like button. I think that's what all the kids are saying now. Give Anne a thumbs up because that's fantastic. So thanks, Annette. Uh, Buen Camino on your Camino Primitivo. Please let us know how it goes because that's not a pilgrimage route that everyone chooses, um, but it is one. It's obviously um, one of the original Camino routes, and I I can't wait to hear about it. We, we've, got, um, we've got a gentleman who sent in a comment. I don't know. Oh, it's Jeff. Jeff from Illinois. Uh, Jeff, Jeff is going to plan to leave from St. Jean on April the 1st. Can he expect the Napoleon route to be closed around April 1st? Typically it reopens on April 1st, but I yeah. will tell you from my experience, I used to volunteer at a place outside of Pamplona and I was there over Memorial Day weekend. So the last weekend in May, and there was such a fierce ice storm between Saint-Jean and Roncesvalles on the Napoleon route, that the pilgrims two days later were still talking about it. So 
I can't recommend that, but how you do this is very simple. You ask the locals, you yeah. look at the weather because the weather can change very quickly. And that's the thing. It can, it can trip you up if you're not careful. And I, I that's true in a lot, in a couple of different um, mountain areas, especially in the, in the North. That's fantastic. All right. Uh, our next question, Anne, I feel like, uh, we're on a roll here for questions. Just a reminder, if you just joined us, you can drop your question into the live stream just by typing the letter Q and then a colon. Requires a shift in there somewhere. Doesn't have to be a capital Q. Just start with a Q. We'll find your question and we'll put it straight in. Um, so let's see. This comes from Ann Christie. Um, Ann asks, hydration options, best solution, water bottles or hydration bladder? If I had a nickel for all of the pilgrims <laughs> that had burst their bladder, mm. I'd be a very wealthy pilgrim. So I have a collapsible bottle that I love. And the trick to it is you, you pin it on, on the top of your, um, on your backpack, on the straps mm. of your backpack, the shoulder straps. And then it keeps the extra weight of it higher on your body. And I learned this on my very first walk from Saria. The first time I walked from Saria, I had I had it hung at the bottom of my backpack, and I had a pilgrim come up to me and go, and they, you know, she was hilarious. She says, "No, no, that's not how you do it." And she just un detached the thing, turned me around, put, said, "No, no, Senora, you put it here." And I've been doing that ever since. If you see any photos of me on the Camino, you're going to see this blue water bottle. So I, I am not a fan. Um, I think there's too much that can go wrong, and there's very little that can go wrong with a water bottle that can't be replaced with a water bottle from the supermarket, you know. Yeah, so this was a big um, change in my gear over the last four years. So I came from a background of doing backcountry hiking, Appalachian Trail, Florida National Scenic Trail, you know, being out there with a big scouting rucksack with, my camping stove and fuel and those terrible astronaut meals or whatever I happen to have with me. So I come from the school of thought that you need, need, you know, to filter your own water and you got to camel up. You got to take three liters with you wherever you're going. And then as I started walking the Camino and doing these pilgrimage walks where it's town to town inherently, there's opportunities to refill your bottle, which was you know, that was amazing revelation for me. Um, and I moved to using here in the States. I actually carry them with me. This is like, we have to get these bottles at the store before I can go on pilgrimage. Uh, smart water brand flip top sport bottles, 750 milliliters. Not that I'm type A or anything. And, but those are exactly the water bottles. If you pop any other sport top bottle, from Dasani or any of these other companies, that's a no fly zone for me. I am not having it. So it's got to be because the bottles, um, they're, they're, I don't know, millimeters thicker. They're just a little thicker and they hold up so, so well. So I walked all through Italy with the same two bottles, uh, that I had on my last Camino. I walked all through, I walked, uh, from London to Canterbury and on to Dover with the same water bottle. Um, so I like to feel like I'm helping the environment by buying these. You know what? Mm -hmm. I'll tell you, 
Yeti has a new bottle out that I want to try. Okay. That's what we're going to do. We're going to try some water bottles uh, on yeah. our next. Um, well, we like Yeti, but I'm not carrying the stainless steel bottle anywhere. Yeah. So. yeah. Um, but they advertise it as super lightweight, so I'm intrigued. Okay. So great question from Ann Christie on the hydration options. Now, Jolie Lucas has a similar question here. So Jolie's question, uh, her son-in-law asked her to ask this question about water. Um, availability and quality coming out of the fountains, Portuguese coastal route. Um, I will tell you that I have never had any problems with fountain drinking water um, on the Camino. Um, there are times where you will see water that is in the f- the hillsides, the, the farmlands, and I'll say non-potable. Um, don't drink that, right? But outside of that, I... And what do you think uh, on water? No, absolutely. But yeah. I will tell you this. I, it's funny. I cautioned my friend. We were walking the Camino in glass and I cautioned her. I said, what you're going to want to do is because the water is so fresh and so delicious and icy cold mm-hmm. in these, these fountains, you're going to pour out the water that you've got in your bottle and fill it up at the fountain. So she pours at the thing and then the spigot didn't work. Oh, well, goodness. So let's check the, let's check the fountain first before we refill it. Out. Check and some thing. some fountains, um, especially in, in uh, on the Camino Frances, don't pour water, right? Like <laughs> I'm thinking of one in particular that the red stuff comes out of. So uh, let's make sure we know what we're getting out of the fountains. Uh, potable yes, water. Fountain, the water at that wine fountain yes. is to die for. Yeah, very cold, great water, Bad. just the way you'd want it to to be. Um, our good friend Michelle Green asked about phone charging. Take a battery pack or recharge at the albergue. Anne has thoughts and feelings about recharging your phone batteries. Okay. The answer to that is yes. I always carry a battery pack. I've got one that's the size of a, of a lipstick. Um, it's made by Anchor. It's It's got some schmump to it. It's got some heft. Um, you don't want to carry a big charger. You don't really need it. Um, with the, the later editions of iPhone, I have found that the battery lasts longer than it did with the earlier editions of iPhone. I have a 14 now, but my 12 and 13 were pretty good too. When I charge it overnight at the albergue, I'm good to go all day and I take photographs all day long. So, and I chat with my friends and I check in on Facebook and do all this stuff. I love it. I, I agree. Um, in my packing list, which I keep on my blog, um, I think it's linked in the comments down below. Uh, one step, then another.com is my blog, my packing list. I use, um, a charger in the albergues that has a long cord because I, I don't know. I'm not always able to jam it in with the other pilgrims who are trying to charge at the same time. Uh, and it has four or five, USBs on it so I can make a friend instantly by allowing them. <laughs> Let's solve this problem together, friends. Let's plug in this one charger and all five of us can now charge off of it. So I always carry that. I carry a small ba- battery backup as well. I think mine's, um, I don't know, I want to say it's 2700. It's not one of these big 20,000 mAh. It's a very small battery. So um, I'm super, I just feel like I'm exposed tonight with the sunburn. I'm super um, conscientious of the weight of things and the bigger battery you pack, the more it weighs. And to be honest with you, you may need it a few times 
but you won't need it all the time. So go ahead and um, take a battery pack, but maybe it's a small one as we go. Um, okay, I, Cindy and Maggie are conspiring to, to get us to battle tonight. Um, so here we go. Cindy, Cindy Hoyt Shed. Uh, my first Camino will be the Portuguese starting in Tui, uh, perhaps this September. Will I need a sleeping bag or hiking quilt or will a silk sleep sack be enough? I know Ian's answer. Okay. Okay. So this is where I am. And I've come full circle on this because I have, I have gone with a quilt. I have gone with a liner and I've gone with a, with a sleeping bag. The gig is to get a sleeping bag that is warm and only weighs a pound and a half and you can do it. And what I will tell you is I do not remember any time in all of my years of walking. And I started walking the Camino in 2009 in all of my years walking. I do not remember a single time where I was too warm. But I can tell you exactly where I was and what day it was when I was too cold. In Hospital de Bruma on the Camino Inglés, I was comfortable and happy and freezing. In Sagún on the Camino Frances, same thing. Via Franca del Bierzo, they had no heat and I didn't, I was, oh my gosh. So what I have determined is my packing list is a little phone charger, a change of clothes, something to sleep in, and my sleeping bag. And I will also tell you, I volunteered in Santiago in July in 2014 as an amigo in the Pilgrim's office. And the only thing I wish I had brought with me in July, the middle of July, was a down jacket. So it's not it's not that, that you're going to Seville. If you're going to Seville, you don't need a sleeping bag. But even if you're going to Seville, I'll tell you you're walking right out of it the next day, at which point I'm going to tell you, if you only use it once, it's worth its weight. Yeah. I got to agree with Ann. Um, I can be, a, I know, I know. I can be, a, you haven't, you haven't changed me, by the way. Uh, I, I was going to agree with you. I could be a lot of things, but cold is not one of them that I'm very comfortable with. So, uh, but I'd rather be cold than hot, which is odd. Let me let me give you the uh, a different take on the same answer. I believe it is very smart for you to take something more uh, substantial than a silk liner for your Camino. Um, as Ian said, even in some of the warmer months, it can be surprisingly chilly overnight. Um, I suggest a down style camping blanket, uh, six hundred and fifty gram weight uh, fill weight. Um, because essentially uh, a, a camping blanket or camping quilt um, is half of a sleeping bag, right? It's the top half. Um, and because you are generally sleeping on a mattress, you have insulation under you. So the bottom part of your sleeping bag doesn't give you a substantial benefit, but it does weigh a little bit. So I think if you can cut that part out, you're actually able to take maybe a heftier quilt and get more of the insulation benefit there. Um, so that's my suggestion. Take something. These down quilts usually weigh less than a pound. So if a great sleeping bag, like Ian suggested, is a pound and a half, especially in the cooler months, that is a, a very good suggestion. 
And maybe in the warmer months, you take the down quilt so that you've got that um, insulation on top of you. Um, and there was a follow-up question, um, a couple of questions about weather. So this comes from Pam Carlson. She says she's going to do the Francaise in October from Pamplona. Beautiful. What weather should I expect? Is a sleeping bag necessary? Let's let's assume the sleeping bag question is maybe we agree yeah. on this one. But what what kind of weather in October? You're the winter pilgrim, Anne Bourne. Um, it's going to be cooler, certainly. Um, the the months of March and April, September, October can be a little rainier than they are in the summer, but you can anticipate that. But you, there are so many places online that you can look up the weather in Spain. Typical weather, typical rainfall, and you can parse it out. But please keep in mind, you're not doing this because you're looking for great weather. You don't choose when to walk this pilgrimage route because you think the weather is going to be better for two reasons. One is you really need to do this when you need to do this. Yeah. And the other is, you know, it's it's sort of like when I went to the Bahamas and I thought it was going to be sunny all day and it poured rain every afternoon. You can't anticipate the weather, especially now with climate change. You know, um, I had a cab driver in, in Padron who told me that he remembered separate seasons when he was a kid and now you have all four seasons in a day. So I don't think, you know, deciding when to walk based on the weather is is the best way to look at this. This is not just a through hike. This really is a pilgrimage. And, you know, sometimes it's it, you walk in the pouring rain for hours and hours and hours, and then you meet up with a half dozen other people who just did the same thing, and you talk about it, and you share it, and it becomes part of, of, of what we do. That said, I would say September, October, the weather should be should be lovely. But it can also be very cold and it can also rain quite a bit. Great, great suggestion. Uh, I have not walked in that season. So I walked in um, September, October in the UK. And I can tell you, yeah, (laughs) it's going to rain. It's going to be cold. But we're not talking about the UK tonight. So um, shout out to all my friends. I think it's the weather's not that different. No, it's really not because from a a distance standpoint, (laughs) you're talking about. you know, a couple, I don't know if we're allowed to say miles, but, uh, you're talking about a couple hundred miles, right? So you're, you're have generally the same regional, uh, weather conditions. I, I see that we've got, um, close to a hundred, uh, pilgrims who are now joining us on the live stream. So just a reminder, if you have questions, go ahead and start your question with a cue in the comment box so that Ann and I can see your question and we can take those live here on the podcast. Um, I love this question. Cindy um, is asking, have you ever used a sun umbrella? I burn easily. Um, Cindy, I mean, come on, you know. And sun umbrellas? No, and I don't like hats either. I can't stand hats. I don't wear a hat. Every single time I have brought a hat, I have left it on the bed somewhere and walked out the door. Because You know why? Because they have brims, and then yeah. when I look, up, I can't see the sky. Okay. I want to, you know, everybody's got their priorities. No, I, I should probably wear a hat. And I get sunburned when I walk in the winter. I've got pictures of me at um, the Cruz de Ferro last mm-hmm. end of November, uh, early December 2021. And I'm, I'm pretty sunburned. But um, 
I use sunblock too. I've got some great pictures of me after I walked the Camino in Glass where I have these white strips of sunblock like this, you know, because I was just not. The stripes. Yeah. I think every, I, I really believe every pilgrimage photo of me, um, St. Cuthbert, um, Canterbury, Dover, Rome, Santiago, Porto. I I'm wearing a hat. So I disagree on the hat thing, but I, you know what? I, I got a lot, I got a lot that I got to contain in my, my hair space here. So, uh, the hat gives me a brim and, um, you know, hat and sunglasses for me always. Um, I got to go back. The question was sun umbrella. So I do carry, um, in the bright summer walks, a really lightweight. I think it weighs like 0.6 pounds, an ultralight sun umbrella from mine is from Gossamer gear, but there are probably 15 companies that make these and you can get them on Amazon. You can get them in a lot of the, um, small, um, kind of craft backpacking, ultralight backpacking manufacturers. Um, to me, I find that that UPF 50 over me kind of lowers the temperature by 10 to 15 degrees. This summer when I was walking in Italy, um, you know, there were times where it was 92 Fahrenheit and just, just scorching hot. Um, so if you don't have an umbrella with you and you do find yourself heating, you know, take one of your towels, take a rag, drape it over yourself, uh, rinse it in water. So it's nice and cool, keeps you cool. Uh, but I do like a sun umbrella. I, they make buckles that go to your backpack and I just put it on one of my straps. I don't like to carry it. I know, um, guidebook author, Sandy Brown will carry an umbrella and that's just how fast he goes. Right. But I'm, I'm slow. So I, I, my backpack does the work there. I hope that answers your question. Um, on the, I think you can pick them up at, um, the Camino forum shop at Casa Absolutely. Kibar. Yeah. I, I, I've seen him advertise them as well. I have never used one. I've never really been interested. I hope that answers your question, Cindy. Uh, there's a question from uh, Matt in the chat box from Facebook. He says, um, suggestions on what to experience in St. Jean de Pitaport before you begin walking. Great question. I have to tell you, St. Jean de is is the most amazing little town. It's it, There are two towns that I never want to leave. That's one of them. Pamplona is the other. I am a, I love Pamplona. Um, the thing about Saint-Jean is that you just want to walk around. You can climb up and get a, a really nice view if you go out of, back down, sort of, um, out of out of town a little bit and then go up on the hill. The, the surrounding countryside is just spectacular. But there's, you know, like the little place that sells the sandwiches and you know, my my first shell comes from there. And so I have a very I have a very soft spot in, in my heart for that place. But I will tell you the fun thing is that the locals know they're never gonna see you again. So typically wh- when you leave, they say a bientôt instead of goodbye. Like see you later. Haha, not gonna. <laughs> Great tips. Uh fantastic town and I think there are a lot of towns where, um, two, two thoughts here. One, we all grab the guidebook and we say, I'm going, I'm going to get Anne going here in a minute. 
I, we say we're going from this play A to B because the guidebook says walk from A to B. There are a lot of towns where you can go off stage and stay off stage throughout your Camino experience. And that, that can be great because you got to spend time in places that you're normally just passing through. And you, you always say, oh, I wish we could spend more time here. You can. All of these towns have great opportunities. And when you do go off stage, it gives you an opportunity, especially on the Francaise, to jump out of the bed race um, in the busiest times of the year. There are plenty of albergues on the Francaise. Very few people ever end up without a bed. Somebody's going to find you a place to sleep. Caveat said, the smaller towns also have beds. And so there's an opportunity to go off stage and pick up opportunities there. Um, and here is a great question. This is actually about, yeah, about the albergues. This is from Kathy uh, over on Facebook. Uh, I just lost Kathy's question. Don't worry, Kathy. This is why Kathy's from Massachusetts and she's doing the Camino Francaise starting in April. She asks, how to know whether to reserve your albergue in advance and how far in advance versus just hoping to find a place along the way. Um, this is along with how much time do you want to spend question, but finding an albergue in the cities as you approach. Okay. So this actually speaks to the topic of stage. I am, I am of a mind that there is only one stage and that's between your house and the cathedral. Mm. There are not stages. There are not days. There are not end points and starting points. There is just this long road that you can pick up anywhere you want and keep going or stopping as you need. And you craft the Camino that you want. Otherwise, you come home and you just say, hey, everybody, I just walked John Briarly's Camino. No, yeah. don't do that. Walk your own, your own, your own. So on the topic of reserving an albergue, two things. One is I, I recommend that you just, you just start out and see what happens. Don't, don't overbook yourself. Mm -hmm. You don't know how far you're going to feel comfortable walking. You don't know what the weather is going to be like and how it impacts how you feel about walking. You don't know how crowded it's going to be because there are days of the week that are more crowded than other days of the week in the same week. So I recommend that you try a couple of days, just show up, show, knock on the door. Hi, I need a bed and see what happens. Mm -hmm. Worst case scenario is you get a cab to another town, find a place to stay and cab back and start walking again from there. Is that okay? That's perfectly fine. But the other thing is that, again, I'm going to recommend Wise Pilgrim because Wise Pilgrim lays out the routes by region so that you are not looking at John Briarley's Camino of today I'm going to here and then tomorrow I'm going to here and then tomorrow. And then feeling, wow, you know, I really, I can't really make it. That's like a long day. I, I'm comfortable at 20 kilometers. I don't know if I'll make it to 24, but John Briarley says I need to do this. In fact, John Briarley doesn't even mean to get that message across to you. He means to have you know where the infrastructure is that will support you wherever you want to stop. And I will tell you from, from walking in the winter, as, as I much prefer, you make it up as you go along. You find whatever you can and you use people. Um, you use your people skills. You use your Spanish skills and you see how it goes. If you find that this is 
particularly crowded the day or days that you're walking and you're not comfortable and happy, then go back to Wise Pilgrim, see what's ahead of you, see how comfortable you think you're going to feel walking and go out 10, 15 kilometers and see what's there. If you have to go out another three to find a place to spend the night, you go out another three and that's perfectly fine. There's no wrong way to do this. Our guest tonight is Anne Bourne. Her website is Tumbleweed Pilgrim. Uh, I want to make sure that I mention her books, Buen Camino Tips from a Winter Pilgrim, and also a beautiful uh, book about the Cathedral de Santiago, uh, If You Stand Here, which tells the pilgrim history of the cathedral. It's unlike anything out there for the Camino. So please check that out. If you're not familiar with the Sacred Steps podcast, we also have a series on um, YouTube called Camino 101, where we have answers for your first Camino in short videos. They're about three to five minutes long. Um, We publish those eh, as your questions come up. So we'll probably follow up some of tonight's questions with more information um, on the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash sacred steps. There are a lot of questions that are getting into how we sleep. And so uh, I'm excited to talk about this because I, I've, I feel like my sleep kit is kind of dialed in. Um, I don't know if there's some things that you always take in your sleep kit, but there's some questions here. Uh, Joni asks, what about a pillow? You don't need one. And this is a tip from John Briley. What John Briley does is he packs a pillowcase. And he puts all his clothes in it and he's got a pillow. But in my experience staying at albergues and certainly at hotels and pensions, um, they provide pillows. Yeah. They may not be your favorite pillow, but it'll do the job. So again, click like because Anne is probably right. But just in case she's not, um, you can also click uh, something else, a laughy face icon. Mm -hmm. I don't know, whatever these emojis are. Um, But my kit does include a travel pillow. And I'll tell you why. Uh, I am the type of person who um, researches everything, but I get very comfortable in my routine. And sometimes if a pillow is too soft or it's too hard or it smells like a foot or whatever the situation might be, I don't sleep as well. So I want to sleep like a baby. I want to feel rested and ready for the next day. So I always take a travel pillow. Mine is the Nemo Philo travel pillow, um, which you can find on the packing list. You can get them on Amazon or or any shop. Find a travel pillow you love. My suggestion, deflate it. It weighs next to nothing and carry it with you if if that's uh, you're so inclined. I also carry uh, earplugs and a sleep mask. And I never use earplugs or a sleep mask anywhere else in the world, except for when I'm sleeping with a few of my closest friends in the albergues on Camino. Anything else in your sleep kit, Anne? Well, I I like to sleep in something that I can walk around in. I don't really bring jammies. Mm-hmm. I tend to bring either black leggings or black long johns or black bike pants. So that um, typically I'm sleeping in a, you know, the shirt I'm going to wear the next day mm-hmm. um, and I'm comfortable. I, I, I like not to, um, I like to, I don't like to sleep in like clothes, clothes. I, I actually have to have sleep clothes. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I know, I know a lot of people sleep in their clothes, meaning the pants they're going to wear and the shirt they're going to, that's a little cumbersome for me. Um, but like I said, I long john, black long johns, um, and a t-shirt, black bike pants and a t-shirt typically. That's great. Uh, we've got some, we've got some questions coming into, uh, Cassandra asked her biggest fear is snores foolproof tip for light sleepers, light sleepers like Kevin, who has the earplugs in and the face mask. I look like a, when I shut it down, it is shut down. I have, I have boop, boop out. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm sort of a light sleeper. I don't know that if, where that comes from, but I've always been a light sleeper. So for me, it's easiest if I have really great earplugs and I'm talking like 32 to 34, uh, um, sound reduction, decibel reduction. Um, they're like construction quality, um, <laughs> that you would, if you were a construction worker or use the jackhammer earplugs, I find those to be very nice for other snores and, um, the eye mask. So, um, it's not just that I have delicate appearance, but, uh, yeah. Um, so thank you so much for that. Much appreciated. Um, just pulling up another question here and this comes from Joni who says leaving Lyon, uh, at the end of April, how much rain can I expect? April showers. I think that there's a reason rain every day. It could be just a downpour all day, one day, and then perfectly fabulous the next. Um, I've walked the Camino Portuguese in April. I have walked the Camino Frances in May, but not in April. Have I walked? No, not in April. Um, I would say to expect rain most definitely. And it, it can be very chilly. It can be very chilly. But I Great. love Leon. The, there's great shopping in Leon. And do not miss, do not miss touring the cathedral in Leon. It's spectacular. Couple questions coming in. Uh, one is from Tet. Uh, Tet says, My family and I are going this June from Tui. Should we worry about bed bugs in the albergue? And my good friend Judy also is doing her first Camino uh, in September, asking about bed bugs in the albergues. Don't worry about bed bugs. Really don't worry about bed bugs. It, it was a bigger problem a few years ago, but there are so many pl- things in place now for at least the municipal um, albergues that they, um, they've they gone away from, from wood beds to metal beds. Um, they have spot inspections. Um, I have not had a single problem with bed bugs. And I've like never said, had a problem with bed bugs either. And, you know, no. I've stayed, I've actually stayed in some, um, really nice hotels. I, I have some connections for really nice hotel companies. And uh, I'll tell you that bed bugs universally are a problem. Um, and it might be a, a, a luxury hotel. It might be a hostel. Um, but I don't think they're any more common on the Camino than they are anywhere else in the world. So if you have stayed in a hotel recently in the last year and you didn't get bed bugs, I'd say it's probably the same odds on the Camino, right? Um, now, you know the what? inspections I, that have been put in place post COVID, yeah. I think, especially in, this is what you were referring to in the municipals, um, mm-hmm. in Spain and in Portugal, um, pretty stringent. And before 
you know, there wasn't as much uniformity, author, poet, and am I saying that right? Uh, they weren't, the, the guidelines weren't as uniform. And so now there is a very set structure as to what has to be washed on what cycle, uh, on what temperature, et cetera, et cetera. And so I think, uh, it's as good now as it's ever been. I would not worry about bed bugs on the Camino. Um, there's a, there is an off chance, but you also may win the scratch off lottery along the way as well. So we we'll just have to. Yeah, say. but just just a quick follow up. I will tell you, I worked as an as an hospitalera in Najera this past summer, and a girl came up to me and whispered in my ear, "I think I have bed bugs." And and I said, "Really?" She look, you know, she says, "Look at my leg," and I said, "Oh, honey, that's hiker's rash." So there are there are a number of issues that you can have that may make you think that you've been bitten by bed bugs that are something else. This was just a rash. And I showed her how to fix it and how to look after it. We, we Googled pictures of hikers rash until we just had to stop looking at pictures of rash. <laughs> but you know, sometimes it can just be like mosquito bites. Um, and you say, Oh my God, it's bed bugs. Typically it's not bed bugs. Not. Um, great, great point. Uh, over on YouTube, uh, Dom has a question. I have absolutely no Spanish language knowledge except for basic greetings and phrases I learned by heart. Do you think I can get away with this on the Camino Frances? Gracias. Well, I think more than trying to get away with little Spanish would be making an attempt to learn a little more Spanish. Um, the more Spanish you can use, the more comfortable you're going to be, especially if you have to call ahead to make a reservation for a room or a bed. Um, you have to be able to pick up the phone and expect that the person on the other end of the phone does not speak Spanish. Now, to be fair, every single hospitalera will know if they speak Spanish. They will know someone who does speak English. The conversation continues momentarily. For information and links from the show, visit sacredstepspodcast.com. Know someone considering pilgrimage? Share this episode as a text from your device. To support the show, please leave a star rating in your podcast app. And now, the Sacred Steps Podcast continues. Yeah, great tip there, Ian, because I think... Often we aren't comfortable with our level of Spanish, but we have some knowledge, right? And at that point we say, oh, okay, I, I'm making an effort. I know these five words, but Maria has a great blog, uh, Spanish for the Camino, uh, Spanish for Camino.com. And not only does she introduce to you the basics of when to use these phrases, one of the things that Maria pointed out to me is I say gracias way too much. And that's not how it's done in their culture. And sometimes if somebody's always saying, Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, it's just in culture, people would say, what's wrong with this person? They, they seem sketchy, right? Uh, because they're, they're overly nice. Um, and you also learn words that you'll need for your Camino. Like how do you talk about your backpack? How do you talk about, um, different things you might need in the pharmacy, uh, different routes, that exactly. are coming up uh, if you need a water fountain. Um, you know, so uh, Maria was on our season three podcast. So you can go back and uh, replay on YouTube or over on Apple podcast. 
um, Spotify, your favorite podcast app, the Maria Seiko interview Spanish for Camino on the Sacred Steps podcast. Um, and next question, uh, Natalie uh, says, first day walking the French route. How difficult is it walking over the Pyrenees? How difficult is it walking uphill for 12 hours? I don't know. That's that's the question. This is another one of those marvelous moments where the, the scenery is so spectacular, it sort of distracts you from how challenging the walk is. Um, a lot of people say, well, I'm going to stop here and then I'm going to see if I only have to walk a little bit more. And I say, no, go for it. Just go for it. Walk from Saint-Jean to Roncesvalles and have the time of your life. Um, I did it with my son and it was one of the greatest days of my life. Yeah, I, I think one tip um, for walking uphill, uh, if I can, is that turn around at some point and see how far you've come. Yeah. Because most of the time that you're walking uphill, your body, nat- your natural orientation, just think of like walking up a hill, right? You're looking at your feet for the most part and and the path. Turn around especially if you are exhausted and see how far you've come. I would say any day you're having a tough day on the Camino, um, turn around and see how far you've come. You have walked further than most people will ever attempt. Just turn around and be proud of yourself. And then, um, this is also a tip. You can walk backwards. Like if your legs start, if you start to get some pain, especially in your upper thighs, uh, or your lower calves, Turn around for a hundred steps and carefully walk backwards. And some of that muscle shearing that might be starting to take place, you you won't be able to reverse it, but you'll change the orientation of what's happening uh, physically in your body. And when you when you turn back to the correct orientation, you start walking uphill again. Uh, your your body will thank you. So it's a it's a nice way to take in the scenery, but also to appreciate physically what you have accomplished and uh, to be so proud of yourself because a lot of what is out there when you're walking, especially if you're a solo pilgrim, like Ann and I often find ourselves, um, that sort of motivation can be really empowering. Um, and yeah, next- keep in mind too, that the descent is typically more challenging than the climb. 100%. If you're going downhill, that is not only um, the most physical because most of the time you're using your ankles and knees to brace, uh, with a heavy pack up high. Um, but it can also be the one place where you're more likely to, to lose your footing going downhill rather than uphill. So poles are your friend. Um, next question comes from Randy, uh, wet weather gear, rain jacket, rain suit, ponchos. What are we wearing in the rain? Well, I've been all around this, you know, typically you, you run the gamut of, you know, you get the very expensive Altus rain thing and everybody raves about it. You got to have it. Well, mm-hmm. I've, I've had two. One I gave away, one I sold. Um, it was like wrapping myself in saran wrap. It was just really, you know, I just became my own sauna. And that was not, it was not fun. And I kept thinking that, you know, like a later version of the same thing was going to be better. But it's that typical doing the same thing twice, expecting a different outcome. So I now have a poncho that I just love. I got it for 12 bucks on Amazon. It weighs nothing. It folds into the hood. It's cute. It's black and white polka dot. Um, You can see me a mile away, which is also not a bad thing. 
And um, yeah, it because but it has the, the it, it doesn't have sleeves. It's just up and over with a hood and it covers my backpack. And that's that's fine for me. That's my favorite. Hello, Kevin. You know, some people talk about gators too. I have never used gators. My daughter used them and liked them, but um, sometimes that's good if you find yourself walking in mud or snow. Did we lose Kevin? Of course not. Anyway. I'm just over here uh, hitting the wrong buttons time and time again. Let me just comment on what Ian said about having the um, the poncho. That is not, I, I, can't, I can't get into that. It does feel like um, that you tend to uh, wet out a little bit, your sweat. Uh, it, the condensation is on the inside. Um, when you're trying to keep the water out, that's not always a good thing. Um, I wear a rain jacket. Um, a very breathable rain jacket. Um, I think because I've done a lot of these, I've maybe spent way too much trying out different rain jackets and, and gear. Um, but I found one I like, and I think that's important. So I think a breathable rain jacket, like, um, I used to wear the outdoor research helium rain jackets, very breathable. Now I wear one from Montbell, whatever you're comfortable with, I think is going to work. I also wear a rain kilt occasionally, which you want to talk about saran wrap. It looks like basically just a piece of plastic hanging from my waist um, because I usually will be in shorts, especially in the summer. Very rarely, if it's warm, do I use it because it feels nice to cool down. Um, but a rain jacket can be, and that's really the only jacket I carry, so it's multifunction for me, but that is the way I go through it. Apologize there for the audio cutout. Um, I think what happened was I was um, hitting the wrong button, so... Thanks, Ian, for covering for me. Um, two questions. Dan and PETA uh, have roughly the same question for us. So PETA's question, walking the Camino Francais in October, interested to hear pros and cons of different footwear. Dan asks much the same question. What is your preferred footwear and any tips for keeping your feet dry? Waterproof boots. I am not the guy to walk in sandals because, like I said, typically I walk in the winter, but this would also go for October. Anytime there's a lot of rain. I once, this was in January a couple of years ago, I once walked all afternoon in ankle deep water. Um, and that's how I found out that my boots that were advertised as waterproof actually weren't. And I brought them back to REI and got my money back and got waterproof boots. Um, people will tell you, oh, no, they, you know, that they're, they, they're not breathable, blah, blah, blah. I want dry feet. And dry feet to me are more important than anything else. And I have found, I have Vasque now. I've also had Salomon. Um I've had Merrill boots that are wonderful, that are waterproof. Um, whether you have high top, mid top, or low is entirely your preference. Um, I like the extra sort of cushion around my ankles. So I have a mid top that I, I really like. Um, but there are a lot, of, a lot of places where you really, really, I think, need boots. 
I know that there are people who say, oh, I can do it in my sneakers or my flip flops, blah, blah, blah. I can't recommend that because your feet and your ankles are what are going to get you to Santiago and you want to look after them. I'm going to disagree with Ann um, because it makes for lively conversation, I guess. But um, I don't like waterproof shoes or boots, and I'll tell you why. In my experience, uh, I have the opposite problem of Ann. Maybe it is just our genetic predisposition, but I have very hot feet. Uh, so I don't like um, waterproof uh, shoes or boots for that reason. I want the the water to quickly evaporate from my shoe or boot uh, to be well ventilated so that I keep my feet dry when they're supposed to be dry on a dry day. Um, not everyone has the same experience. So this is an important tip. Make sure you're comfortable with your gear that works for you. Um, I don't do waterproof. I will stomp through the puddles. Doesn't matter to me. And then when I get out of the puddle, I will take off my little shoesies and my socks and I will dry my feet and the shoes themselves, you know, over the course of the next hour or so will dry themselves out. Um, I'm comfortable walking that way and not everyone is. So if you like dry feet, um, you know, maybe the GTX gore proof, waterproof shoes and boots are for you. For me, I wear the ultra Olympus, um, max cushioning shoe because I have a wide foot. I like a soft step, especially in, Portugal on the hobblestones. Um, I learned that the hard way and, um, I, I do not get the waterproof version. So I hope that answers your question. Um, we did a video about, uh, on the Camino 101 series on YouTube about avoiding blisters. And we talked a little bit about how to keep your feet dry, uh, even if you stomp around in puddles. So you may want to check that as well because, um, Several people share their advice and, and I don't think there is a right or wrong answer here, but there's definitely a personal preference. So make sure you know what you like best. Next question is from Gina. And I think we, uh, we've done this one a couple of times ourselves. Uh, eSIM for cell phone, where to buy it, how it works and how to get service. Are you familiar with eSIMs? Most definitely. Yeah, I have an eSIM with my phone. Um, the old SIM cards, um, you have this little pin and you poke a, a, mm -hmm. into a little hole on the side of your phone and this little tiny card comes out. In eSIM, you don't have to do that. And it just adapts to wherever you are. I will tell you, um, coming from the United States, I have T-Mobile. And I do not spend any more money in Europe than I do in the United States. I don't buy a special plan. I don't get a burner. I don't buy minutes. I don't get an international thing that costs me $10 a day. Nah. I, I have the same phone bill when I get home after a month in Spain that I did the previous month in the United States. So I recommend T-Mobile. And, and, and the reason for that is because you're using Wi-Fi in a lot of instances, right? Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. Wi-Fi is everywhere. So you can communicate to people with, you can call them on Facebook. You can call people on WhatsApp. And I typically don't make cell, actual cell telephone calls in the United States. Mm -hmm. So it's not a big culture shift for me to not make cell telephone calls in Europe. It costs a few nickels more to make an actual cell telephone call. We actually pick up the phone, you know, like 
like it's 1964 and push in numbers and wait for someone to pick up, you know, that stuff. I don't do that. I, I use WhatsApp and I use Facebook to call people and iMessage. Um, like I said, T-Mobile, I don't spend any more money than I do here. Yeah. Um, I'm glad I got Ann to be on the podcast because um, Ann, as I said in the in the intro, is um, she tells it like it is, right? You are going to get the truth with Ann. And it seems like there are a lot of things. Ann and I would be walking different pilgrimages. <laughs> so I'm an eSIM guy. I do like the eSIMs. If you have an Android phone or an Apple phone, they both will accept eSIM. I think with Apple, it started with about the Apple 10 or the Apple X, I think they called it. And Android, it's worked forever. Um, some of the carriers in the United States, and I know we have some pilgrims joining us from Australia. I can't speak to Australia, so you're going to have to translate this into your local phone economy. Um, but some of the carriers have phones that are under contract. And if your phone is under contract, they will not always allow you to program an eSIM from another carrier. So check with your provider. Um, all of the providers have international plans that are available uh, for United States carriers. So with AT&T, you get an international pass. It's $10 a day or what have you. And you can use data or mobile cellular throughout. The maximum they'll charge you during your billing period is $100. So if you're gone 30 days, instead of $10 a day, it's actually $3 a day. So it's not, you know, that, that big of a, of a, um, charge on if, if you're there for a while, um, the eSIMs, as Ann said, you basically just, you get a, a card from orange or any of the providers in the EU, you, um, program it into your phone just by scanning it, um, or typing in the code that's necessary in your settings. And then you essentially have a second phone number that's working on this other channel. Now, to the point, WhatsApp, Facebook, there are so many messenger um, applications that are out there that, especially on the Camino, so many of the albergues, pharmacias, all rely on WhatsApp as a secondary communication, some of them as primary communication. So you're likely to be using Wi-Fi predominantly. But as an eSIM, there are a lot of great carriers out there. Check the cost because at the end of the day, it may cost you less to use your home carrier, as Ann said, than it does to use an eSIM. So I hope that answers your question. Next one's also about budgets. This comes from Sylvie. Uh, the average cost per day for accommodations and meals. Well, I'll tell you the key thing to the key takeaway message here. He said, as you get closer to Santiago, it gets more expensive. Why is this important? Because if you budget, say, 40 euros a day, just for argument's sake, which is a reasonable amount, it, it gives you lots of latitude if you need to spend the night. On average, if you need to spend the night one or two nights in a pension where it's a little more expensive than an albergue, then you're, then you're good. But I will caution you, by the time you get to that 100-kilometer mark, everything is going to get more expensive. So don't think that the, that the budget that you start out with is going to sustain you all the way to Santiago. You have to back up from Santiago to the 100 kilometer mark thereabouts, maybe 125 kilometers out. 
and just anticipate that it's going to be more expensive. And the reason I say this is because I've worked in Ribadiso, which is not too far. It's uh, uh, closest you can get, I guess, to Arsua, closing in on Santiago. And people just kept saying to me, you know, it's just getting more expensive. It's more expensive. I don't know what I'm going to do. And I wanted to say, you know, this is why I want to say this now. Know ahead of time that that first night in St. Jean is going to be a little expensive because it's a great little place to start out. As you go across, it's probably going to even out. But as you get closer to the end, it's going to get more expensive. So you have to budget so that you you sort of sock it away to the end. And the other thing is that you're probably going to want to stay in a hotel when you get to Santiago, um, which will be a little more expensive as well. There are beautiful little pensions and small hotels in Santiago too. So don't think that it's got to be too expensive. But that's how you have, sort of have to plan. You can't really, it's not really a set, figure um, unless you want to boost it a little bit on the front end so that it evens out. I like to just think that it's going to be say 35 to 40 all along. And then as I get closer to Santiago, it ratchets up. Yeah. I went back and I tried to, um, I tried to kind of track my budgeting. Um, My, my degrees in accounting. So, you know, here we go again. And, but I, I think that's great advice. 30 to 40, also keep in mind that whatever you spent the last time you were on pilgrimage, you want to look at how you spent your money. It's very possible that um, the price of things has gone up since the last time you either budgeted, planned, or walked. It's also possible that your experience is going to be different if you're returning on pilgrimage. Um, I found that um, I was more... um, social when I, when I've done more pilgrimages. So I was more inclined to go out and have a pilgrim menu and maybe have uh, a beer or, or something that was an addition. So it's very lifestyle driven. Um, there are some people who will prepare all their own meals, um, day by day. There's some people who will do pilgrim menu day by day. There's some people who will splurge and they're in, um, you know, staying in paradors and staying in, uh, private hotels. And so this is very independent, but I think the advice of 35 to 40 uh, euro is on average a, a very good estimate. It can be done for much less. The question is, what are you looking for for your Camino? I know people who, we've and you and I have seen stories of people who are actually doing the Camino on the kindness of strangers, and they're, they're asking for charity as they're walking. And it's just, it's up to you. But if you want advice from Ann and I, I'd say 35 to 40 euro right now. Um, your mileage may vary and your money may not go as far as it used to as um, inflation comes in. Next question. Ooh, this is, uh, this is an Ann born question. Are you a solo pilgrim, Ann? Yes. Yes. Is he it tra- safe? Is he travels fastest who travels alone. Um, is it safe? Yes, it's completely safe. Don't ever, ever let people convince you that you need a buddy or that a woman isn't safe. You're safe. I have walked um, 10 different Caminos. Half of them I've walked with someone and half of them I walked by myself. So if you ask me, what would you prefer? Well, I've, I would always prefer to walk with my children. There's nothing better than walking with your children. It's just the best. And I have walked with all four of my children 
and I have such fond memories of every single moment. Um, but I also heartily recommend you walk by yourself. It is so liberating and so freeing to walk by yourself. Um, you want a second cup of coffee in the morning before you leave? Then have your second cup of coffee. There, you don't have anyone nudging you out the door. Do you want to stop here instead of there? Stop here. Do you want to get lunch now or lunch later? Get lunch later. It's every single decision you make all day long will benefit you. And at the end of the day, this is your pilgrimage. You are not walking to impress John Briarly. You are walking for you. The only reason you do this is for you. And I will also caution you, it's very easy to get in with a group of people that you have just met and let them drive everything you do all day. Don't do it. Keep in mind you are doing this for you. This is entirely yours. At the end of the day, it's only about you. And tomorrow when you wake up, it's still only going to be about you. So go by yourself or go by yourself with other people and remember that it's only about you. Yeah, Anne gave some great advice in our season two episode uh, of the podcast. And it struck me because this is one of those things that only a friend could tell you. And Anne said it as a pilgrim friend. And she said, I've met far too many pilgrims who hurt themselves because they tried to walk too far, keeping up with friends. I've met far too many pilgrims who missed out on an experience that was important to them because they chose to stay with a group that, that wasn't as interested in that experience. I met far too many pilgrims who can only tell me about the people that they were with and not the pilgrimage they walk. So, um, Ann and I have both done solo pilgrimages for a lot of reasons, but do not be afraid to walk alone, whether that's for an hour or a day or the whole route. Uh, because you are doing this, something told you that you want to do this walk. Something told you that you wanted to experience this. Um, not that you would bump into a lady at the airport and stay with the lady at the airport for 40 days. Maybe that's what you enjoy, but maybe there's an experience that you were going to take as a solo pilgrim. So, um, you know, it's different. I, I think it, Everyone always says it's it's different for women than it is for men, and that is very true. This world is not fair in that regard. But Anne has done uh, uh, ten or more Caminos now, and um, she's a, a walking testament that the Camino, uh, if you're well prepared and um, you want to do it alone, it's very doable. Next question. I feel like this is almost uh, one that you and I will agree on. Uh <laughs> can't pronounce this name. Um, but question about taking a bathroom break between cities. What is the common etiquette? And in case you drink a lot of water and need to find a bathroom. There are so many places to use a bathroom that I, I have never found this to be a problem. There are bars, you go in, you get a cup of tea, you get a, a you know, a soda or something. Um, there any, and this is the, this is the other thing you should know. Any open albergue will attend to whatever you need. You do not have to stay there. So if you walk through a town and you need to use a bathroom and there's an albergue that's open, you can knock on the door and they will, they will get you anything you need. As long as they're open, do not expect them to open for you. 
So I've, I've done that. Don't do that. But you, you can get whatever you need. Say you need uh, something to attend to a blister. Um, say you just need to use the bathroom. Say you really need um, a tea. Any open albergue, you will find someone there who will help you. Um, bars are wonderful. Um, even supermarkets will probably have a bathroom. I've never tried that, but I, I would imagine you could probably find a bathroom. I've never, I've never had a, I've never had a problem. I've never, I've never had a problem either, but I will tell you that a lot of people apparently do. Um, I, my advice, um, gosh, I got to say this carefully. Maybe you want to take a, a small, um, Ziploc bag with you, a, a, a food storage bag of some kind. And if you, if you have, um, any sort of bathroom tissue, um, just put it in the bag, take it with you. Um, That's true. Nobody wants to walk a Camino that has been decorated with bathroom tissue. So if you find yourself in the middle of the farmland, um, and you need to do your business, do your business and, um, pack it out. So pack in, pack out is what we say on the, on the Appalachian trail. Hopefully that you all understand exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, and we can feel comfortable moving on, uh, for this question. Um, that comes from Barbara, um, who, uh, says, are the albergues generally co-ed? Yes. I have only stayed in one albergue where they separated women from men in the dormitory. Um, and in fact, the, the last time I walked was November, December, 2021. I stayed in the municipal in Burgos and there were 13 of us in the albergue that night, 12 men and me. Hmm. So yeah, they're co-ed that. Yeah, that's fine. I found that, um, on the Camino, it, almost everywhere is co-ed municipals always, mm -hmm. almost always co-ed, um, in Italy. Uh, funny enough, there were some, um, some spots that were female only, uh, which I thought was great because we talked about some, uh, solo pilgrims and that might be a situation that they're looking for. So, uh, again, and mentioned the wise pilgrim app, you can get all the information about the albergues, uh, in the towns ahead from wise pilgrim or Granzi or your guidebook, uh, or just reaching out on WhatsApp and, and asking, you know, is this a co-ed? Uh, albergue, but to the best of our knowledge on the Francais, the Portuguese, and really every other route that I can think of, municipals mm -hmm. for sure are co-ed. There may be some private albergues um, that are uh, just for the ladies, but I can't think of any at the moment. Mm -hmm. uh, next question is from Nancy. What is a healthy diet for this kind of hike and where is it available on the way? I'm not sure what you mean by healthy. Um, I'll eat just about anything you offer me. Um, I'm not, I'm not particular. Um, what I tend to look for are local soups because they tend to be um, lots and lots of fresh vegetables and they tend to also be pretty fabulous. But again, like I said, if you walk in the winter, you're always looking for soup and hot tea and hot cocoa or something. It's from the winter up. pilgrim. Exactly. Um, so yeah, I, I always try to find out what other, what the locals are eating. And, and that typically is going to be where you're going to find the fresh, the freshest food. Um, 
boy, a Spanish salad. The you know there there was a there was a place in in Burgos that had a salad called Todo la Huerta, which is the entire garden is in this salad. Um, the typical salad is um, lettuce with tuna and uh, corn, and uh, it's just fabulous. Um, I could just eat that all day. You know, typically for breakfast, you're just going to have toast and coffee and juice. And then for lunch, maybe a sandwich. And then for dinner, you know, sometimes you can get um, chicken and fries or something. Um, but like I said, I like to see what the locals are eating. And, and I, tend to, I tend to try that. Um, I think that it's a shame to, to go all the way to Spain and, and look for, you know, Burger King. I would agree with you 100% on Burger King. I would have a slight variation in my diet, but you may be able to ascertain that by looking at Anne and looking at me. Uh, I am carrying a little more in my quote unquote proverbial backpack than Ann is. So I like to, uh, I have one meal that I always find. Um, if you listen to the podcast, you know, this it's always, I'm on the lookout for a bacon bocadilla, whatever you call it in your country, in the UK, it's a bacon buddy. Translate that into your local dialect. I am looking for a back bacon sandwich in the morning. If I can find it, that's got my carbs. That's got my protein. That's got a little bit of salt to replenish the salt that I sweat out of my body. I usually top it off with a little caffeine. And uh, for me, that makes the morning uh, work. Now, there are going to be times where I can't find a bacon bocadilla, but it's not for lack of asking. I know how to ask for a bacon bocadilla in almost every language in the world. So I'm going to be on the lookout. But um, as Ann said, there are so many local cuisines, local foods, Flex your diet if you have the opportunity to. If you can't for your health condition, that's obviously understood. Ask for what you need. But if you are willing to open your palate to what the locals are eating, you're going to find some incredible dishes throughout Galatia uh, and Portugal. World class. Are you planning a walking pilgrimage? Share the details of your journey as a voice message with our podcast audience. Visit sacredstepspodcast.com to record your voice message for a future broadcast. Know someone considering pilgrimage? Share this episode as a text from your device and help others find the podcast by leaving a star rating on your podcast app. And now, the Sacred Steps Podcast continues. Um, next question, uh, coming in, have you experienced Easter week on the Camino Francais? Does it become necessary to make reservations at that time? I have not. I've been there for Pentecost and I've been in, in Santiago for the Feast of the Apostle. Um, Easter week, I, I, most of the hoopla is specific to the church. So it really, it doesn't, it's not that it draws people it's that all of the townies are part of it so if you if you show up in leon say on the thursday on monday thursday for argument's sake it's not that people are going to be traveling there for that event it's that everyone in town will be there doing that event um and that's pretty that's pretty wonderful i think you, need, you might need to make reservations but I always say play it by ear, you know, sort of tease it out, see see how it looks, see if you see, you know, that it gets more crowded. I don't think people travel, people tend to travel to Seville for the for the feria and for the 
for Easter week, because that's where all the major tourist hoopla is. But in the little towns along the Frances, certainly, I, I don't think you should, you're going to find much of an issue. Yeah, I, I would agree with Ian. Um, Johnny Walker Santiago, for those of you who are joining us on Facebook and actually the Camino forums and books everywhere, who doesn't know John, right? Um, but John walks a pilgrimage every year. Uh, the, the, the weeks leading up to Easter, uh, so that he would arrive in Santiago around Easter. And it's always a Camino Portugues. Um, so I can only comment on the Portugues in saying that it is more crowded, um, leading up to Easter week, because there are a lot of pilgrims who, uh, a lot of locals who have that time off and can make a walk. And especially as Anne saying, people come into the cities to, to be there. So I would say it may vary by, um, the size of the city that you're going into. Um, but there's also a balance there, right? Cause the larger towns and cities have more, uh, beds available. Mm-hmm. So, um, ask the locals, do I need to make a reservation this week? Do I need to make a reservation tomorrow? Um, nine times out of 10, um, you will not, but they will always find you a bed. Everyone always gets a bed that night. May not be in the same town. Right. Ian? Uh, next question comes from Nancy who says, do walking poles help with the downhill stretches? I almost want to end it there. Do walking poles help with the downhill stretches for someone with knee issues? Walking poles are a necessity because what comes up must go down. Climbing up is something you might be able to do with your backpack comfortably. Coming down may not. And there are three three places on the Camino Frances that everybody who's ever walked the Camino Frances will tell you about. Subiri, Alto del Perdón, outside Pamplona, and Molina Seca. And anybody who's ever walked down those bits, they're going to either make that icky face, like, oh my God, I did that and it was terrifying. Doing it without poles would be really scary and dangerous. So I, I, I absolutely recommend poles. Um, if you have knee issues, um, you just take your time. Don't yeah. let anyone convince you that you're too slow. If it takes you all day to get down the stupid hill safely, then you get down the stupid hill safely. That's, that's what it's all about. Everything has to be in your time on your terms. I met two people from my pilgrim family walking down the hill. Um, that's how slowly I was going is that people were able to come up and I could have a whole conversation with them as I was going down the hill. David and Judy from Canada, I miss you. I love you. I can't wait to talk to you soon. Two great pilgrims who have done the Camino several times. I was slaloming like a skier would to go down the hill because I didn't want to put any more pressure. I had a, I had a, an injury to the ball of my foot and I wanted to walk it in a way that could take some of the strain off. But to Anne's point, Hiking poles, listen, you don't have to use them all day, every day, okay? And a lot of people don't understand how to use them correctly, but they are essentially four points of contact with the ground. You have your two legs and your two poles. They're going to give you a lot of stability, and if you learn how to use them correctly, they're also going to allow you to take some pressure off of those um, sensitive knees, uh, off of your your uh, joints on your ankles and other places. You want to spread that weight, especially if you're doing anything 
that you're not comfortable with, like crossing a little stream or something. Four points of contact are always better than two. They make those robots that can stand up on two feet, but for a long time, they didn't know how. We're an amazing, amazing creation. Hiking poles make us even stronger. Um, Harriet asks, what time do you eat dinner and can you get eight hours of sleep, get a coffee and start walking? I feel like this is uh, aimed at me. Uh, Harriet, let me just tell you, um, the, the culture in Spain traditionally uh, has dinner later than in the United States and Canada and Australia and maybe most places in the world except for Italy. Um, but the pilgrim's menu is generally available um, at places that have it from approximately 5 or 6 p.m. until they decide to shut it down for the night. In big cities, that might be 10 o'clock at night. It might be later. In the albergues, there is uh, always a time when they close the door, right? So you want to know what time that is. All the pilgrims have to be back in their rooms, in their beds, in their bunks by that time. Um, So most people, in most places, that's 9 or 10 o'clock at the latest. Um, A few places I've been to has been 11. Um, Just depends if it's a municipal or if sometimes it's a private hostel. The private hostels tend to be open later. Um, But you can definitely get eight hours of sleep if you have your sleep system kind of dialed in. Again, for me, it's the ear earbuds, um, the earplugs. If you are a light sleeper, you may struggle to get eight hours of sleep. You can always get coffee in the morning. There's always going to be a cafe along the way. They're open for in most cities for a couple of hours, and then they close until later in the day. Uh, but you can always find a, a cafe. How'd I do, Ann? Oh, that sounds good. Yeah, I will good tell enough. you though, and will accept my answer. If no, absolutely. But I will tell you that if you're not fond of getting up at five or six o'clock in the morning to suck back a coffee and take off, then walk in January when the sun doesn't come up until a quarter to nine. So I get up at seven. I get breakfast at seven thirty. Maybe I get a second cup of coffee and I play games on my phone. And then I start walking when the sun comes up at a quarter to nine. And that that really that really suits me. Can you get eight hours of sleep? Yeah, because the sun sets at 530. You'd be surprised how well you sleep when it's dark for so long. Yeah, if you're doing a winter Camino, you can get way too much sleep. Summer Caminos, when the sun is up till nine or 10 o'clock, sometimes it's like, ooh. so we're doing that. Uh, but yeah, t- listen, walk your own walk. Go to bed when you're ready get your rest. It's very important. That's how you recharge and recover your body. Next question is from Nancy. She's asking about laundry. How do you wash your socks and some of those things? I'm going to let Ann talk a little bit about the albergues. I think she's got one system. I have a completely different system. Uh, not surprising. I carry, um, a dry bag. So a bag that is waterproof. I fill it with hot water lukewarm water, whatever hot water I can get. I put my little detergent in the bag and I put my day's clothes in there and basically hand wash using my dry bag as a waterproof bag to rinse and wash my clothes. Um, It's part of my daily showering routine. Uh, I only take two sets of clothes, probably a packing tip there. Um, One that I'm wearing, one that I'm carrying, right? I'm not, not going to walk down the runway at any point. 
So um, no one's expecting me to be a fashion model. I have my two sets of clothes, my wear and my wash. And the next morning, because of the fabrics that I'm choosing, they are ready to go dry and ready. And do you have a specific wash routine? Well, I will tell you that most albergues that I have stayed at have washer, dryer, Mm -hmm. washer and dryer, washer, maybe no dryer. So that you just have to take your turn, your, your turn doing the wash and you can buddy up with somebody else to split the cost. Um, that's easy. That's just easy because then you wash it. If you're lucky, you dry it. Otherwise, typically you can hang your clothes outdoors during the summer or you drape them over the radiators in the winter. Um, if you're not familiar with the dry sack, I've got my dry sack. I'm going to tell you, this is the coolest thing, right? I don't know if you can see this, right? Let me give you see a little bigger summit. screen. See to summit. And the trick to this is that it's waterproof fabric. And what you do is you put stuff in it. And you when you fold it down like this, it forms a seal. And then you can close it up like that. And you've got a handy dandy bag that you can actually do your laundry. And just, just the way Kevin said, um, I tend to wash my stuff in the sink. Um, and I do not ever, ever wash my clothes with shampoo. Yeah. There are too many fragrances and moisturizers in most shampoos that you do not want to collect in the fibers of your clothes. So I have, I get a bar of Hispano soap, H-I-S-P-A-N-O. It's regular laundry soap. Anywhere you buy, um, Tide or Cheer, you can get laundry, a bar of laundry soap. You don't need to take the whole big bar. You can cut it up like into quarters and take maybe a quarter of a bar or a half a bar. And the brilliant thing about it is that when you scrub up your clothes, it foams up like crazy and rinses out immediately. So it has everything you want if you're going to rinse your clothes out quickly. And um, we've got quite a few questions left in the queue. You mind staying on for a couple of minutes? I'm good. It's getting kind of late on the East Coast of the United States, but it's only um, 1.30 in the afternoon in Australia on Sunday. So we're time traveling. We've got our Australian pilgrims with us, uh, some from Canada and some from the United States. So Cindy is here. Um, This is an interesting question. I think it kind of relates to some of our COVID practices, but what do we do for glasses that fog up uh, anytime you're wearing any kind of face protection? But I think that the trick is to get the glasses on the outside. Yeah. And, and also if you're wearing a mask or what have you, you want it to have a nice nose clip so close. that your breath is not coming out the top of your mask. Um, a lot of us have worn a lot of masks for the last few years. Um, so you may want to consult some, some of your friends there if they're having, if you continue to have trouble with those. Um, here's a question from Bo. Uh, how much cash should we carry? Is it easy to access cash on the Camino? All right. So this, you're not going to like the answer. Um, <laughs> just take Let them a have thousand, it, no, take a thousand euros, zip them into your pocket and be happy. Just take a thousand euros. You're going to spend it anyway. Just take a thousand euros because otherwise what you're going to have to do is go from town to town looking for an ATM. And that's not fun. I don't like to shop. I don't like to look for an ATM. I don't want to have to find sunblock. I don't want to have to find, I don't want to have, I don't want to have to make shopping 
part of my pilgrimage. I want to be completely and totally self-sufficient. Is it easy to find an ATM in a big town? Yeah. If you're spending the night in a little town, maybe not. So you always have to have, at minimum, I'm going to say this, and people will argue with me, I would say you always have to have, at minimum, 200 euro. 200 euro is going to get you either to the next town, being able to pay for the albergue, especially if it's a municipal because they don't take credit cards, and typically they don't take credit cards, and uh, it will get you food, it will get you in and out of a bar. Um, while credit cards are, are being used and debit cards are being used much more than they ever were. I've also had problems with getting cash out of a cash machine because, and I couldn't figure out why it was my, my card worked great in a big town and not in a small town until I realized they don't fill up the cash in the cash machine as much as they do in a bigger town. So it wasn't that I, I'm absolutely certain of this. It wasn't that my card didn't work because my card worked other places at the same bank in other same bank name in another place. It was that they weren't filling up the cash in the cash machine and the cash machine was out of cash. So in all of those situations, if you've got 200 euro, you're good. You're, Jolie you're good. agrees with you 100% about carrying the 200 euro. Uh, I'm, I'm going to take a, a little hesitation on the thousand, like stuff it in your, in your sack and, or in your pocket, like you said, in your boot or what have you. Um, I think you can find ATMs in the big cities fairly easily. Um, there's a lot of signs like people want you to use their ATM because they make money when you do. Um, but yeah, just keep in mind what you need the cash for. I think if you're going to carry cash, um, there are, municipals do generally speaking now do still run on cash only. Um, but if you have limited cash, you may ask them, do you take card? Um, that way you can conserve your cash until you find the next ATM. Uh, next question. Uh, and this one is from, uh, Jolie who agrees with you hundred percent on the cash, by the way, Jolie uh, says, how do you get a tour of the cathedral? Is there an English church or church service for pilgrims? I heard there was one. Two questions there. How do you get a tour of the cathedral? And is there an English language church service for pilgrims? Yes, there is an English language church service for pilgrims. And it's quite lovely. It's actually in the chapel at the pilgrim's office. It's not in the cathedral any longer. It used to be in the cathedral. And now it's in the chapel at the pilgrim's office. As you enter the pilgrim's office, there's going to be a guard there and a place to get your QR code so that you can get your Compostela. You go down and turn right to go down to the office where they will give you your Compostela. But just inside the door to the left is a lovely chapel and there's mass. Uh, last time I was there, it was in July. Um, there is mass every day except Wednesday for in English and, and father Manny Domingo is the priest. Yeah, he's marvelous. Father Manny. He's a very sweet, wonderful man. Get a tour of the cathedral. It's going to be in Spanish, but you can register for a tour and get tickets for a tour on the cathedral website. And if, if I can just add, if you happen to have a Kindle app on your phone, um, you can get Ann Bourne's book if you stand here all about the Cathedral de Santiago, Kathy noted. 
Uh, and I love your If You Stand Here book. I have the Kindle version, which I access on my phone. I'm looking forward to pulling it up when I am in and around the cathedral because it will be even more meaningful then. So Anne's book is written from the perspective of uh, the pilgrims throughout history who have had significant moments and significant interactions um, within the Cathedral de Santiago. So as you're touring the cathedral, these are not the things that are in the guidebook, right? These are the things that take research, knowledge, and somebody who is passionate about the pilgrim experience, as Anne is, to share it with the others. So that book is called If You Stand Here. It's fantastic. Uh, it's linked down in the show notes. Hey, Anne's got a copy. Who knew? Okay. So the reason I'll show you this is that this has a feature. My book has a feature that is really fun. It has a map and it will tell you where to stand in the church and what happened there. And it's not a bunch of long Spanish names with dates. It's stories. It's the backstory. It's who's buried there and why they're buried there. And, and you won't get the information from anywhere else. And as far as I know, just as a footnote, it's the only English, native English written book that guides you through the cathedral that's current. There are no other current, as far as I've been able to find, books written by a native English speaker. They're all translations. And I don't know about you, but as good as a translation gets, it gets clumsy if you read it for any length of time. Um, I'm much better just reading it in Spanish. You know, thank, thank you for my Spanish teacher in high school for this. Um, yeah, but the, it's, it's written specifically for American pilgrims and Australian pilgrims. And Canadian pilgrims. And Canadian pilgrims. And those from the UK. And I love this next comment. This one hits close to home. From my son, Jack. I'm walking the Camino with my dad this summer. What's a city on the Portuguese that we should spend more time in? Gosh, I loved Pontevedra. Yeah. Pontevedra is fascinating. Um, I would probably say Padron. I would I would I think I would definitely say Padron. You can visit Rosalia de Castro's house museum in Padron. It's absolutely one of the most charming things. Rosalia de Castro was one of the first people, I think she was, she might, yeah, I think she was the first person to be published in Gallego. She wrote her poetry in Gallego. She was actually, she was born in Santiago in the middle of the 19th century. Uh, and she was baptized in the chapel at what is now the Parador on the big plaza in front of the cathedral. Um, but she died in her home in Padron. She has a beautiful garden. Um, it's a house museum. You can learn more about her. The church in Padron that has this cool bollard that, where you can see where they, um, they moored the boat that brought St. James to Galicia from Jerusalem. It's, it's fun. And the food is phenomenal. Food is fabulous. Uh, kiddo, I am also going to say Padron, uh, for a couple of different reasons. I think the connectivity between, um, the St. James story with Padron is incredibly powerful. And if you lean into the St. James story, um, 
Padrone is one of those cities that you absolutely must visit. Um, but as your dad, I'll tell you, wherever you want to go, kid, I'm right there with you. So we'll spend as much time as you want. I can't wait to be there with you this summer. Um, so our next question comes from Barbara. Uh, we were talking about poles. She's wondering, is it easy to get poles in uh, St. Jean de Peterport? Bring them with you. Don't go shopping. You know, I'm going to keep saying that because um, the last, I, I will tell you, I had my poles confiscated when I started the Camino Inglés. I lost my my hiking poles because I tried to bring them on the on board the plane. Um, and when I got to Ferrol to start walking, everything was closed. It was Sunday. Everything was closed. Um, what I ended up doing was I I left a 20 euro note at the albergue in Neda and I liberated the mop handle from the mop in the service closet. And that was my poll. And I walked the entire Camino Inglés with a mop handle. I, yeah, don't don't, I don't know that we've ever talked about that. We talked about some really interesting things in your podcast, <laughs> but I didn't know that story. That's fantastic. I'm going to tell you the same thing. Take your polls with you. There are going to be a lot of people who tell you on Facebook that they took their polls in the their cabin baggage and they got them past TSA and ha 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 ha. Let me tell you, um, be prepared, right? If you are the type of person who wants to carry them in your cabin baggage and you think you can get them through security on your way to Spain, maybe you do, maybe you don't, but carry a mailing tube, one of those little paper mailing tubes that the architects have, um, and you are mailing a poster, put them in the mailing tube. If, if the, if your security guy at the airport says, Hey, you can't take these, go check them, right? Um, always take your poles with you. A, they're the poles that you've been training with, that you practice with, that you know, that they have the type of handle that you like, whether it's cork or rubber or plastic or what have you, whether they, um, you know, fit you correctly or they're adjustable, whether, you know, they break into threes and you can storm in your backpack like you like, whatever your situation is. Yes, you can buy them, but to Ann's point, do you want to spend your Camino going store to store and shopping? No, you don't. So it can be done, but maybe there's a better way. We suggest you take it with you. Um, quick question. This one comes from Maggie. She says, regarding your shoes, do you size up to accommodate for swollen feet? Everybody's interested in my feet, Ann. Well, you don't start out with swollen feet, but as you walk all day, your feet do swell a bit. It's, do they swell up? God, I hope not. Um, but I go a half size up and I'm comfortable and happy. You have to be comfortable and happy. And I will, I will tell you, you also have to break in your socks. This is a point that I make in my, in my first Buen Camino tips book. Break in your socks. Do not listen. This is the same thing. We, we're going to say this about every pick a topic. We're going to say the same thing. Don't listen to anybody else but your feet. Do not let somebody say, oh, you have to have these merino socks, blah, blah, blah. Merino wool the only thing, blah, blah, blah. Or you have to have the ones with the little little toes. Yeah, you, you have to have those. You can't do anything. You know. No, I like cotton stretchy socks. And I, my feet are cool, calm, comfortable, and happy in cotton stretchy socks. Do I get blisters? No, I don't. Break in your socks. Break in your socks is a great message. We'll leave it at that. Work with what you're comfortable with because Ann and I will obviously have another disagreement on the composition and uh, the materials that you should be using on your socks. Here's a great question for a pilgrim 
that has done more than one Camino and has walked a route more than once. It comes from Dexter, and he asks, what inspires people to walk the same route more than once? I understand walking different routes, but why the same route more than once? I have walked the Camino Frances from Saria, I think four times, one, two, three, four times. I would easily walk it again. It has some of my favorite towns. It has some of my favorite um, scenery. The stretch from Melide to Arsua is just so gorgeous and so fabulous. I think of all of the places I've been, and I've walked the Ingles, the Primitivo, the Portuguese, and the Frances. It is, it's far and away my favorite stretch. Um, there's something magical about it, and I, I can't really say exactly what it is. Um, I'm, I'm planning to walk the Camino Ingles again. I, I don't think I'm done with it. Maybe that's it. Yeah. I talked to... Um Michelle and Brian Coleman on the podcast in season three. And, um, actually I don't think we've aired that episode yet now that I think about it. So, um, if you don't follow us on the podcast, go ahead and click like and subscribe and, and get the podcast. Michelle and Brian, um, they've done several Caminos. I think they've done four and then they went on the Via Francigena this past year. They're going back to the Camino this summer. And the thing that they said is, we saw so many things that we had to pass by. So we're going to walk the same Camino differently. And we're going to stay in, in different towns than we stayed in before because we were so fascinated with the town. But we were only there for lunch. Or, you know, we, were, we had a reservation in an albergue in the next town and we couldn't stay. And so they're changing the stages to give them a completely new experience because there are churches and markets and restaurants and villages that they want to experience. And there's, there's a breadth of cities and towns to experience, especially on routes like the Francais or the Portuguese. And I can, I can understand going back to a route and experiencing it in a new way for the second time. Um, next question. This is food. Um, Harriet asks, is it possible to keep a vegetarian diet on the Camino? Yes, most definitely. I agree 100%. Um, sure. You're not the first, you're not the last, you're not the only. And um, every, everywhere you go, you can, you can find, typically in an albergue, there'll be a list of restaurants and you'll be able to see which ones are, are identified as vegetarian. Um, I think vegan is a little more challenging Gluten-free is also more challenging, but vegetarian is certainly not. That's, that's fairly, fairly easy to accommodate. And, and quite popular in Spain yeah. as well. Um, most restaurants uh, and albergues, um, supermarkets know exactly what vegetarian pilgrims are asking for. Even if you mm -hmm. can't um, think of all the Spanish words for the type of vegetables you're looking for, they can direct you. Uh, we did a podcast episode with Wendy Wernerth about walking the Camino as a vegan. And to Anne's point, that requires more preparation. If you are mm -hmm. vegan and you're thinking about doing the Camino de Santiago, please go on and watch the video or download the podcast with Wendy Wernerth, 
six tips for walking the Camino as a vegan, because I'm not vegan and I don't know how, um, to communicate that well, but Wendy is, she writes vegan recipes. She lives in Spain. She can tell you exactly what and how to order. If you are a vegan, um, Annette writes back to food. It's hard. Is it hard to avoid seafood? I'm highly allergic to seafood and fish. Can't do a lot of preservatives. We're mostly vegetarian and all natural. In Scotland, on the West Highland Way, we had some but not much difficulty avoiding commercial breads. Will the Camino Primitivo be able to accommodate a non-seafood shellfish diet? Yes, most definitely. Um, in fact, as you start the Primitivo, the, the hot ticket is lamb, not seafood. Seafood in Galicia, lamb in Asturias. Asturian lamb is, it'll just melt in your mouth. It's spectacular. Um, as far as um, finding places that have commercial bread, you've got to look for commercial bread. Everything is baked on the spot or by the local baker. It's all fresh bread. It, it would be very, it would be harder, I think, to find like a loaf of bread from a supermarket than it would be to find the typical bread you're served at, at any restaurant or bar. My only advice, I agree with Anne 100%. I think this is the second time tonight I've agreed with Anne 100%. But um, I agree with Anne 100%. Do yourself a real favor here, though. Learn the verbiage for what you're looking for. If you can't eat a certain fish, shellfish, um, a certain, uh, if you have a shellfish allergy and maybe they're using a selfish, shellfish broth, you want to be able to communicate yeah. that very clearly. Um, so that if you, whether it's an allergy, a preference, whatever it might be, so that you are helping those who are dedicated to serving you help you. Um, so I think that's really important wherever you travel. Um, if there's something that is very specific to your preference or your needs, understand how to communicate that. Our next question comes from uh, Lola Moo. I've been trying to get this one in. Uh, you've asked me a couple times, so I definitely want to make sure we get it before we close tonight. Um, planning to walk the Camino next year on Ash Wednesday from France before going Holy Land Franciscan Holy Week pilgrimage, but it's in the middle of February. Is that doable? So we're talking about a Camino next year on Ash Wednesday, the uh, Camino Francais in February. This is an Anborn question, if ever there was one. Yes. I have never walked in France. I've been to France many, many times, but I have never walked in France other than to walk out of France over the Pyrenees. Is it doable in February? Most definitely. You will find that 75% of the places to stay and places to eat are shut. They will reopen in April when the crowds come back. That doesn't mean that they've gone anywhere, though. And this is the key thing that I, I, I tell people. Just because the, the place to stay is closed, and it says I'm closed, doesn't mean it's gone anywhere. The accommodation is still there. And in many, many instances, the people who own that property also live in that building. 
And typically what I have done in the winter is knock on the door. And I have presented myself as the little old lady walking um, who looks a little bit sad and probably rain drenched and tired. And do you have a place to stay? And in more cases than not, they've just said, yes, please just come in. And I've been able to stay in a lot of places by myself. I stayed in 18 albergues in the in November, December of 2021. And I think in five of them, I was the only pilgrim. So yes, the infrastructure is closed. Yes, it's still there. So what I tell people is you go to the bar. The bar will be open for the locals. It may be that they don't expect pilgrims, but it will be, you know, the, the locals have to have a place to go hang out. They go, they watch soccer together. They, they go home, you know, they toast new babies and they check up on how the kids are doing. And it's, you know, it's a, it's a community center. Just ask the barman where you can find a place to spend the night. And they always know the, at any given moment, the bartender in a bar in Spain, probably in France as well, will be able to tell you where everyone is where they are working, where they had lunch, where they're going after dinner, where their where their wife shops for food, they know everything. Cuz you got to remember in a lot of these towns the population of the town is like 700 people. So it's it's not like this is some remote, you know, franchise out, you know, in the middle of nowhere, you know, it's not the Burger King. It's going to be the local bar. It's going to be run by a local guy. He's going to know everything and he's going to know everybody and he'll find you a place. It's all Wonderful. doable. Yeah. Agree. Um, same, similar question. And, um, the, um, have you, there's another ask about a specific Camino in the winter. Uh, Lorna asked, have you done the, the silver, uh, Via de la Plata? Uh, in the winter? I have not, but I think it would be great. Um, I would also recommend the Camino de Madrid mm. in the winter. These are, are two that are that have the least amount of shade. And while that can also be an issue in the winter, it is likely to be less of an issue. Um, you're not going to burn up to a crisp on the Via de la Plata if you walk in December or January. I can't speak to whether or not there's rain or snow. I would imagine there's probably less snow than you're likely to find in the mountains up north. But um, I would definitely, I would say, yeah, go for it. I would definitely do the Via de la Plata in the, in the winter. Wonderful. And uh, last question tonight. Um, this one comes from Tresha over on Facebook. Um, and this is about the cathedral in Santiago de Compostela. Can you get an entrance for free to the cathedral from the pilgrim's office when you get your Compostela? Okay. There is no fee to enter the cathedral in Santiago de Compostela at any time to anyone. It is a free and open um, door to anyone. Um, the only thing is you can't bring your backpack in, but that's for security reasons. You do not pay an entrance fee. There are a number of cathedrals where you do, in Leon and Burgos, certainly you do. Um, but in Santiago, because it's the Pilgrim's um, Cathedral, you just you just walk right in the door. American Pilgrim, author, poet, award-winning 
author and poet. Uh, we've had some nice accolades in the last, uh, 2023 has been good to you, Anne Bourne. Um, but, uh, I want to thank you so much for coming on doing a live Camino 101 with me on Facebook and YouTube tonight. It's been great to talk to pilgrims from the United States, Scotland, Canada, Australia, uh, a lot of, a lot of U S pilgrims as well. And thanks for sharing your expertise on the, the Camino tonight until you and I are together next. Um, be well, stay safe. Buen Camino. Ian. Buen Camino. Buen Camino. Thank and you. All the pilgrims joining us on the live stream tonight. Thank you so much for your questions. We wish you all the best for your Camino. Uh, and we can't wait to share your story next on the Sacred Steps podcast. Buen Camino. This has been the Sacred Steps Podcast. To help other pilgrims find the show, please leave a star rating on your podcast app. For episode notes, links from the show, or to contact Kevin, visit our website at sacredstepspodcast.com. You can also join our behind-the-mic email list on the website. Before you go, tap subscribe so our future episodes are available to you automatically. Automatically.